Okay, so uh, a little background on myself. Uh, my name, again, is Tim Daniels, in case you forgot already. Um, been married to Maya 12 years last week, so we got to celebrate our anniversary while we're right, driving in a car. Um, so we're, we're uh, like I said, we're in a ministry called the 810 Project in North Minneapolis, and I want to share with you a little bit about how we got there. Uh, what we do is it's a house of worship, prayer, and discipleship in the inner city. And if you're not familiar with North Minneapolis, um, I don't know how else to explain it to you other than it's a place of darkness. Uh, there's high crime, uh, high rate of prostitution, drug use, murder. Uh, it's, it's not a place that you would pick out on a map and say, hey, let's go raise our family there, okay? Um, we had that place picked out, and, and God called us to a different place. He called us to North Minneapolis. So um, it's called the 810 Project because that's the address. It's 810 30th Avenue. And it's also kind of taken from Romans 8, uh, chapters 10 through 17, which talks about the fact that we are dead to sin but alive to Christ. And Christ has put his spirit inside of us, a spirit of adoption that, where we can call out Abba Father. So there's a, a high rate of... Uh, widows and orphans there. There's a lot of spiritual orphans, a lot of spiritual widows. Um, so that's kind of why we, why we moved there. Um, just some more background on my family life. So like I said, we've been married 12 years. And I always say when I talk that the first probably eight years of our marriage were awesome. <laughs> uh, not to say that the last four have been terrible. It's just been different. So the first eight years, you could kind of lay out a roadmap of traditional American Christianity and the American dream, and they kind of just laid on top of each other pretty nice and neatly. Um, so we were, we were involved in church. We helped out with children's ministry. Uh, we helped out with worship. We did our best to help out with small groups and things like that. So we were very involved in church. It's not like we were sinful people or anything like that. Um, but the, the path of our livelihood was, was pretty traditional. We went from our first apartment to our first starter home, which happened to be in North Minneapolis because that's all we could afford at the time. And then from there, we uh, found our dream home. It's like everything that we prayed for. I, I grew up in the country, so I wanted to live by water and trees. And she grew up in the city, so she wanted less water and trees. Um, so we found a good compromise. The Lord led us to an acre lot that had a little creek in the back and woods in the back and uh, dead-end streets so the kids could bike in safety and uh, a lake five blocks away so I could walk and go fishing if I wanted to. So it was kind of our dream home. It was just everything that we had put on our prayer list and checked off. And we felt that God was really blessing us. I had a, a business in software where it was uh, just seeming to, to grow and increase uh, every year. It was kind of on a just uptick like this. And uh, about four years ago, uh, things just started to stir inside of us differently. And um, the key verse that, that kind of changed our life, and I'm sure you're all aware of it, it's Matthew 28, 18. It's the Great Commission. Jesus is saying before he goes back up to heaven, you know what, all authority in heaven and on earth all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I command you. So um, I read that probably for the 50th, 60th, 100th time. I don't know how many times I've read that. But have you ever read something that just kind of sticks in you? And it, the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you through it. And so the Holy Spirit began to ministry, minister to me through that verse, and, and we began looking around and just kind of taking inventory of, you know, if you have this dream house, how much time it takes to work, 
to pay the mortgage on that dream house, how much time it takes to work to be able to afford things to keep it up and invest in it, make it better. And um, you know, want to have good things for your kids. So you chalk all that up. If you have this much time in your life, this much seems like it was kind of invested in our home and it left this much for the things of God. And um, so we, we began looking at how, to, how can we combine our house and the Great Commission? How can those two fit together? And really, in sincerity, began seeking the Lord. We tried foster care. We tried small groups. We tried prayer groups. We tried lots of things out of our home, just uh, trying to figure out God's will for our life in our own strength. Does that make sense? Has anyone ever tried that? And it just, we had a sense that God kept just shutting this door, shutting this door, shutting this door, shutting this door. And so uh, somewhere around that same time, we did start this, this prayer group. And uh, from that, we began kind of seeking more of the Lord's heart for direction. Instead of just praying and asking God to bless our plans and bless our, our wash machine or bless our car or whatever it was, we just simply started asking God, what's your will for our life? And we just kind of stopped praying for things and started praying for his heart. And as a result of that, God began to, to show us his heart. If you ask for things, he's going to show it to you. If you ask for bread, he's not going to give you a stone. Uh, if you ask for his spirit, he's not going to give you a scorpion or beat you up. He's going to give you what you ask for. And so we began asking for his heart. And um, the rest is kind of history. He just wrecked us, for lack of a better word. Um, it, it turns out that his heart is deeply broken for the lost. He is deeply, deeply, deeply broken for lost people. There's scriptures over and over again in the New Testament that talks about, you know, the fact that Satan has blinded the minds of those that don't believe. So, you know, your coworker, they don't really know what they're doing. The, the coworker that's really mean and nasty and swears and cusses constantly and the, the friend that you have that's cheating on his wife and, and the people that are stuck in adultery and pornography and lying and cheating and stealing, they don't really know what they're doing. They're blinded. They're being tricked by Satan, the deceiver. He's putting veils over their eyes and... And God has commissioned us. He's given us a great commission. He said, all authority in heaven and earth was given to me, therefore go. And he's waiting for us to enact on his heart and be that one shepherd that's going to search after the one that's lost, to leave the 99 and go find the one. And the more we prayed, the more we spent time in his presence, the more and more he just began to impart his heart to us for lost people. There's people around us that are broken and hurting and needy. And it doesn't matter whether you're in North Minneapolis or the suburbs or Ballotin or North Dakota, South Dakota, Florida. Wherever you go, people are broken. What they're crying out for is living water. They want living water. They want to taste and see that the Lord is good. And what they get in its place is just fake charades. They get a bunch of hypocrisy because God is looking for a broken and contrite spirit. And he wasn't finding it in me. He was finding a lot of doing. There's, there's chapters in Isaiah and Jeremiah that says, you know what, if you want do and do and rule and rule and line on line, that's what you'll get. That's the, that's the depth of your relationship that you're going to get with me. But what I want is a broken and a contrite spirit. That I'm not going to despise. When you're ready to humble yourself before me, get on your face and get over yourself, then I'll meet with you, not till then. So that's what happened. We, we just got broken. Um, and that's all I can really say about it. The, the more I read the scriptures, it seemed like that whole year I was just sort of stuck in the New Testament, and particularly the book of John. And, you know, you read through this stuff, and it's not a singular 
one verse that you'd pick out, but it's, you know, Galatians 2.20. You know, it's, I died. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Uh, John 15 says, you know, if you're going to remain in me, you've got to bear fruit and fruit that remains. Uh, John 12 says, unless a seed falls in the ground, it's going to produce no fruit. But if it goes in there and dies, it's going to produce fruit 30, 60, 100 times over. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15 talks about, Paul is saying, you know, that we all have works that we do. And some, some of you guys are going to work with stone and brick and whatever, and you're going to lay on this foundation. But there's going to become a day where your, your works, all that you're doing is going to be tested by fire. And what's done in Christ will remain, and what's not is just going to burn up and evaporate. And I began looking around at our house even, thinking, well, that's going to go away. Uh, that's not going to stay here. This, isn't, this is going to be gone. You know, all this stuff that we work so hard for, we toil and we train, we, we invest our life in, it's worthless. It is uber meaningless. Uber, uber, uber. Okay? So, um, you know, knowing that what this life is is temporary gives us a different perspective on, on what really matters in this life. And uh, in John fifteen sixteen, it, it kind of just sums it all up. And uh, it says, You didn't choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that would remain. And that's the crux of the gospel, I think. It's that I didn't choose God. God chose me, of all people. And you don't know me very well yet, but I was angry, bitter. I was a druggie. I was a drunkard. I hated people. I hated God. I hated my family. I was in rebellion big time. I was opposed to God, and He loved me, and He pursued me out of His great love. And now there's nothing that can separate me from the love that is found in Christ Jesus, neither height nor depth or angel or demon or present or future. Nothing in all creation can separate me from his love. That is the gospel. I didn't choose him. He chose me. And he appointed me to go and bear fruit, fruit that would remain. When I, when I see him face to face, I want to I have fruit. I want to have fruit that's going to remain. That's the cry of my heart. That's the desperate pull and plea of my heart. God, please give me fruit that would remain. And what I found out is I have a lot of ideas in here that amount to very much little nothing. <laughs> I don't know if you can identify with that, but you, you, you can sit down and, and think and just like you would in a Walmart CEO meeting, you can kind of plan and strategize what's the best way to do da 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 It amounts to nothing. Your plans amount to nothing. What matters is righteousness in the Holy Ghost. Faith expressing itself through love. And so we, we just kind of endeavored to say, you know what, whatever it takes, we want fruit that remains. And uh, we kind of just prayed along that vein for a long time, uh, continuing to read verses like John 16. It says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, pick up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? The Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. Matthew 7, 13 says, Enter through the narrow gate. Wide is the way that leads to, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through that, but small is the gate, narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Uh, We endeavor to be one of the few that find it. I want to find that narrow road. And um, if your road kind of looks like mine did, 
and this is not a condemnation on anybody or anything, so don't take it that way. I'm not expecting you to go and sell all you have and you know, move to North Minneapolis. That's not the goal I'm saying. But what I do say is, you know, if, you're, if your road is very comfortable, if you're on kind of the highway of life, and your life doesn't look any different than whoever, uh, pick some celebrity or pick some neighbor down the road who doesn't know Christ. If your road looks the same as those who don't believe in Christ, that should alarm you a little bit. That should stir something inside of you because Christ has appointed you. He chose you to go and bear fruit and fruit that would remain. Does that make sense? So we just started analyzing all that stuff. And then um, the wheels really fell off. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I read Mark, Mark chapter 10. If you want to turn there with me, Matthew, Mark. And it's chapter 10. I'm going to start in verse 17. We all know this story. It's the, the rich young dude, rich young ruler. It's a tongue twister for me for some reason. This thing hurts my ear. How do you do this? I got big ears. Uh, okay, so. We can read it together here. It says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell at his knees before him. So he was really, you know, desperate. He was on his knees. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So he's really desperate. He's coming to Jesus because Jesus is supposed to know the answers. And he falls on his knees and he says, Good teacher, what do I got to do? I want eternal life. Tell me what I got to do. Jesus replies, Why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't murder. That's bad. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother, etc. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. So this is a good dude. He's doing all the right stuff. And he's coming to the right person. Uh, Jesus looked at him and loved him. So there's a compassion there. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have, give it to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And we don't know if he ever came back around. But again, the story is this. There's a a guy that's really religious. He's doing really good stuff. He's trying with all of his might and strength to honor the Lord. He's not cheating. He's not committing adultery. He's not doing drugs. Uh, He's against abortion. He's against uh, gay marriage. He's, He's saying all the right things, okay? He comes to Jesus, and he says, good teacher, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And he's he's working at what he knows best. And the teacher looks at him and loves him. He loves this guy. And he says, There's, there is one thing that you lack. Go, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, then come follow me. And what my take on this thing is it's not a condemnation, and you'll hear other teaching on this that's probably way better than my take on it, but I don't think it's a condemnation on, on stuff in general. But what it is, it's an invitation it's an invitation to a deeper intimacy with the risen Christ. If, if, think about it. If you have eight, 70 hours of work a week, 
a lot of people work 50, 60, 70 hours a week. If you work 70 hours a week to maintain your lifestyle, and this guy's probably working that amount, how intimate are you going to get with the Lord? Really? Just take an inventory of it. How intimate are you going to get with Jesus Christ? So when I look at Jesus looking at this guy on the ground saying, Jesus, I want eternal life, the compassion is... It's not anger, it's compassion. Saying, hey, I I see your heart. I know that you really want a relationship with me. And you know what? You can't do it while you're trying to maintain this life here on earth. You're building up treasure for yourself here and it's it's worthless. It's going to disappear. But I see your heart, rich dude. And I know that you want me. I know that you want to do the things that are right. So why don't you get rid of all that junk? Come follow me. Come walk around with me. Come be my 13th disciple. We'll get to know each other really well then. And you can see kind of the heart of the Father and what I'm doing. You can see how I minister to the poor. You can see how I stop at this pool here and and help this guy who's lame. You can see how I stop for this guy named Bartimaeus and open his blind eyes that he's never seen before in his life. Uh, You can see how I let this this adulteress sit at my feet and weep over my feet and wash them with her hair. Uh, You can see how I stand against the Pharisees and and, uh, let this adulteress sit before me here and not let her get stoned. You know, you can see my heart for the poor and the broken. And uh, the guy went away sad because there's a cost. There's a cost in discipleship. There's a cost in intimacy. You know, the, the more you want to know Christ, the more you're going to have to surrender. That's just, that's how the equation works. And uh, even his disciples didn't quite get this. There's a, uh, John, just a verse early, John 14, uh, Jesus is on his way to the cross. And he's basically, Philip's saying, hey, Jesus, you know, we want to be with you all the time. It's kind of the summary. And um, Jesus is saying, you know what, uh, I'm going to go and be away with the Father, but you know the way. And, and Philip says, you know, we don't know the way. What are you talking about? Just, just show us the way, and then we'll know the plan. We'll, we'll know paragraph 1, 2, 3, 4. We'll have the itinerary, and then we'll know how to follow you, Jesus, when you're gone. And Jesus said, Philip, don't you know me? I've been with you all the time. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. You don't come to the Father but through me. There is only one way. It's a narrow, narrow, narrow gate. Very few are going to find it. And it's in me. It's in my flesh. It's drinking my blood. Do you remember the story of the 5,000 that were fed? On the, so there's these little fish and loaves, and, and the boy comes up and says, you know, I got these fish and these loaves. He feeds 5,000 people. We all know that. And then he goes across the other side of the sea, and these 5,000 people run around, follow Jesus, and they... They're asking him, you know, how can we follow you? Same question that Philip just had, same question the rich young ruler had. How do we follow you? And he's saying, you know what, the only reason you're coming after me is because I'm giving you bread. And uh, this conversation, this discourse goes along, well, um, who are you really? I'm the bread from heaven. Uh, Well, show us a sign. Again, they're looking for some kind of way to prove their faith, some kind of way to walk out and prove to themselves that they're really righteous on the inside. And Jesus is saying, if you really want to follow me, just eat my flesh, drink my blood. That's, that's what you got to do. And from that point on, many of his disciples turned back. All that to say, with the rich, wrong ruler, with uh, the 5,000 that were fed, all throughout scriptures, there's a cost to discipleship. There's a cost to intimacy with the Lord. And it's worth it. <laughs> that's the crux of the message. It's worth it. It's worth it to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, to become one with him in his death, to somehow attain life after death. It's worth it to get to know Jesus. It's worth it, it's worth it, it's worth it. Everything else isn't. 
if you get nothing else out of this message, that this world and all the stuff that we can accumulate, that's not worth it. Jesus, he's worth it. Okay? So, um, kind of getting back to our story, uh, we read that, we kind of wrestled with that a little bit, and a uh, very long story short, we, we decided to sell our dream home, kind of put all of our chips on the table, and there's a lot of weird testimony that goes along with that process. Um, it wasn't like we decided, hey, let's sell our home, and then the next day it was sold. The, the Lord was kind of revealing a lot of stuff over the course of many months about the motives of our heart and the attitudes of our mind and um, just the idea that, well, I'm doing this for you, Lord, so you should, you should bless me with stuff or you should give me something. You know, our service to the Lord is it's just that. It's service to our Lord. It's, he doesn't say, why don't, why don't you go out and do this stuff, and then when you get back... Um, you know, I'll, I'll cook a meal for you and all that stuff. You know, he said that to his disciples, in fact. He sent out 72, and they came back, and they're all excited. And um, he said, you know, if a master sends you out in the field to do work, when you get back, he's going to say to you, why don't you go fix my breakfast or fix my dinner and fix my drink, come serve me, and then you can eat. So don't get the script flipped backwards. You know, we're here to serve the Lord. He's our God. He's our Lord, not the other way around. He's not there to serve us. We're not God. He is. So he revealed a lot of selfish motives in us. Um, and all that just kind of brought us back to that place of prayer. Uh, a lot of cool scriptures, again, just started popping out to us. Psalm 139, search me, God, know my heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Um, Isaiah 64 talks about our righteousness being as filthy rags. Psalm 51 says, You don't delight in sacrifice or I'd bring it to you. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, Lord, you won't despise. And uh, Psalm 21 talks about the Lord being as a king, being able to direct the watercourse of our hearts. So we just got to a place where we wanted to be malleable. We wanted to be broken. We wanted fruit that would remain. So as we're going through the process of selling our home, one of our prayer partners basically just gave us the keys to this duplex in North Minneapolis at 810 30th Avenue. So out of that home, the Lord has kind of put a mandate on our heart to be a home of worship and prayer and discipleship. And I know I say those words, and those are kind of catch, catchphrasy words, the Christian-y words. Um, you don't always know what they mean, so just to kind of explain what I mean by that. So worship. We just worshiped a little bit ago. We're worshiping right now. When you go out the door, you're worshiping. When you go to work, you're worshiping. Okay? Worship is a lifestyle of repentance before the Lord. It's a, it's a lifestyle of obedience to him. Uh, Jesus said, those who love me, obey me. So it's a lifestyle of obedience and surrender to God. Uh, it includes songs, um, but what, what good would it do to sing a song of love to Jesus and then go commit adultery? You know, I, I always say, like, I, I've been married to Maya 12 years. What good would I do if I did acts of service for her, um, cooked her a nice meal and cleaned the kitchen or you know, bought her a rose or whatever? All these acts of service that say, Maya, I love you a lot, and then um, went out the door and slept with a prostitute. You know, that, it's a mixed message. You know what I'm saying? So worship is loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind with all your strength. It's kind of an all-in scenario. Um, if it's not, it's called being lukewarm. And the Bible says he's going to spit you out of his mouth. So it's, it's a hot pursuit. It's hot in love with Jesus. That's worship. 
Does it make sense? Okay. So um, we do have times of specific, you know, singing and, and uh, kind of prayer and worship in the house. But the point of worship in the house is that we are, the people in darkness would see a great light. It makes no sense for us to sing and clap our hands and sing songs to Jesus if we're stealing from our neighbor or, you know, if we're lying to them or cheating or, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. So it's, it kind of falls in the realm of holiness, I guess. Uh, there's a lot of scriptures that we kind of take from that. You know, Psalm 27, um, David is talking about going into the place of worship, and he says, then my head will be exalted above my enemies. So it's kind of the sense of when you're in life and you're going through rough times, it's a sense that the enemy's sort of all around you and you're, you just take a defensive position. I don't know if you ever feel, I feel like that way sometimes. I don't know if you ever do, but you just, you feel like you're getting beat up. So you just kind of put your hands over your head and try to tune everything out. And what David is saying in Psalm 27 is when he goes to that secret place with God, when he worships God, when he declares who God is to the world around him, his head is exalted above those enemies. And he can see very clearly what's going on with the situation around him. So worship is very powerful. It's not just about singing a song to make you happy or feel good with the beat. It's very powerful. Uh, we enter his gates with thanksgiving. We enter his courts with praise. And if I'm praising and entering his courts, um, darkness has to go away <laughs> because dark and light can't coexist together. Does that make sense? So the reason we worship is so that the people in darkness can see a great light. Um, there's also the story of Jehoshaphat that I like a lot. I don't know if you know the story, but it's Second um, Chronicles 20. There's a big army of mean guys. Uh, they have gnarly beards and you know, nose rings probably and maybe a tattoo on their head or something. They're big and mean, meaner than Mike Tyson. And uh, they're coming after you know, the army of Judah, and it's big and it's scary. And uh, Jehoshaphat, just, he takes comfort and strength in the Lord, and he puts the worshipers out in front of the armies. And as the worshipers go out, um, they see the hand of the Lord, and basically that whole little army of big, mean Mike Tysons, they just annihilate each other. So by the time they get to the battlefield, the victory is already won. So we, we kind of claim that as part of our, our worship technique as well. Uh, worship includes evangelism. We do a lot of neighborhood evangelism. Uh, which means I go up and I tell you about Jesus Christ and his power to save you. Um, it also includes acts of service. Uh, evangelism isn't necessarily getting someone to say a prayer with you or repeat after me. It's introducing them to the love of Jesus Christ, whatever means necessary. So whether that's mowing your lawn or giving you food or whatever, it's reminding you that there's a God in heaven that loves you. No strings attached. God's love is unconditional. No conditions whatsoever. Um, in Exodus 34, you know, Jesus, uh, well, God, um, he's visiting Moses. Moses said, God, I want to see your face. I want to know you. I want to see your face. And it says, the Lord passed by Moses. He put his hand over Moses' face, and he passed by, and he said, Adonai, Adonai, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. So even God the Holy Spirit, God, Jesus, even God declares God's glory. He can't not declare his glory because he's just that awesome. So if we're asking for the Holy Spirit to fill our heart and our soul and our mind, it's a necessary thing that that's got to come out. Otherwise, we're turning off the valve. If, if there's a valve on my head that welcomes the Holy Spirit, and maybe that's worship or obedience or whatever that is to you, if there's a valve here that, that's an inlet to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, 
that needs to come out, okay? Uh, otherwise, it's going to reach a cap, and that's all I get, and then it gets stagnant in here. It gets yucky and smelly and stinky. If you've ever been to a swamp, it's just there's no water coming in anymore. It's gross, okay? But the more you let the Holy Spirit out of you, the more room he's got to... It's a free-flowing tap now. And what happens is it starts to flow and starts to rub off all that crust and all that debris, and he starts to refine you and make you into that vessel of honor that we were talking about earlier. Uh, so that's worship. Prayer, again, same thing. It's prayer changes the atmosphere. So Second Corinthians 10 says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but rulers and powers and authorities in the heavenly realms. There's a lot of rulers and powers and authorities in the heavenly realms over North Minneapolis that stir up a lot of weird, gross stuff. It's called murder and hatred and greed. Uh, the only way to combat that is with the Holy Spirit. So I can't stop someone from murdering my neighbor, but I can take it to the Lord in prayer and rely on his strength to intervene. Uh, there's stories all throughout the Bible, you know, Daniel and um, Moses and on, 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 on down the line of these righteous men that pray. And uh, James 5.16 says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And the last thing we are is it's a home of discipleship. It's our way to, to try to fulfill the Great Commission. So uh, the goal of the upstairs unit of this duplex is to have people living there long-term, uh, 18 months, two years, three years, whatever it takes, and living in close community with each other. Um, it's, it's my belief that discipleship happens in proximity. Uh, it doesn't happen when I invite you to a church service once a week and we talk for three minutes in the hallway. It, it happens in community and it happens in, in relationship. Um, so all that to say, I think it's about 11 o'clock, I need to be done now. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, John 10.10 10 says Jesus came to give us life, give it to the full, uh, over and over and over throughout the scriptures. I just want to remind you that Jesus loves you. Thing number one, all authority in heaven and on earth was given to him. There's, there's nothing that's not under his control. He has all power and strength. So there really is nothing to fear. And it even says that perfect love would drive out fear. So... All authority is given to him, and he's telling you to therefore go and make disciples of somebody. That may not be North Minneapolis for you, uh, but it may be a coworker, it may be a neighbor, it may be a family member, an aunt, an uncle. There's someone in your life that the Holy Spirit wants to reach through you. And that's my challenge uh, and exhortation to you, is that, is that as a body of Christ, we would work together to fulfill the Great Commission. Uh, that we'd encourage each other and sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs over each other, that we'd wrestle with each other in prayer, just like you guys are doing this morning. It's awesome. We need encouragement to fulfill the Great Commission. We don't need backbiting. We don't need any of that other stuff. We need encouragement. Uh, none of us are perfect. Uh, I'm not there yet. My wife's pretty close. <laughs> We're getting there. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's just been our desire to not go save North Minneapolis by any stretch of the imagination. It's not up to us at all, really. It's our, it's our desire to, to live John 15. I want to stay attached to the vine. I want to do what he's doing. Um, so even Jesus said, you know, there's nothing I'm doing on my own accord. I just simply do what the Father's doing. And that's, that's the desire of our heart, to walk in step with the Holy Spirit day in and day out and um, live life kind of out loud in the city. So we want people to know around us that God is love, that God is light, and there's actual power in him. I think there's some slides uh, just to kind of show you some context of, of where we're at. And then uh, I'll turn it back over to Pastor Mike here.
so if you could skip over. Keep going. Next slide, please. There we go. So that's our family. Um, our son Josh was not with us this weekend, but that's my wife. Um, my daughter Guinevere in the back. She's awesome. She's nine. Daughter Hannah in the middle. Don't mess with her. She'll take you out. She's ten. And our son Sammy, uh, the foreground there, he's seven. He's a sweetheart. And we got our niece Nadia. She's 20. She's fiery. Uh, spend a couple minutes with her. She'll, she'll make you crazy <laughs> for Jesus. Uh, next slide. Um, okay, so this is kind of the, the beginning process. This is probably last summer, fall sometime, beginning the demo process of the, the home. It was kind of in disrepair, the duplex was. So a lot of what we do is uh, these work parties. So like the guy on the left there, his name is Vernell. Uh, he came as part of the work party. He, wasn't, he was kind of a backslidden believer or not a believer at all, I guess you could say. And so we're ripping up the floor together. And um, just through the course of conversation, uh, he kind of looks at me and says, you know, I guess I haven't really figured out what I'd want to do with my life yet. Um, he had just come out of a halfway house and was trying to figure things out. So I was able to share him with him that God has a plan. And uh, long story short, Vernon, or Vernell gave his life to Christ while we're tearing up the floor of the kitchen there. Um, it's really sweet. It's not, there's nothing better than just praying with somebody and the power of the Holy Spirit comes and you can see tears in your eyes, you can see te- tears in their eyes. It's a real awesome experience. I'd highly recommend it. Um, <laughs> next slide. Uh, it's my son Sammy, so it's kind of a family project. The kids come over from time to time, uh, even though my wife doesn't like it so much. Um, just help pulling nails or whatever. Uh, this guy's Charles. Uh, my wife dropped me off in front of the house one day. He was walking up and looking for work. He said, I got a lot of work, but I don't have any money to pay you. And uh, he said, oh, okay. Um, but for some reason, he stuck around, like, all day. He just stuck around, and then he kept coming back. So we just began a relationship with Charles and got to pray over him. And um, he's it's kind, of, it's kind of sweet, sort of funny, but he didn't want to give his life to Christ yet because he couldn't stop smoking. And he didn't have a job. So we prayed and prayed that he would get a job. He got a job, and he came back all excited. He's like, Tim, pray for me that I'll stop smoking. So, you know, he's, he's not there yet. He's, he's on his journey, though. So, uh, Next slide. Uh, we do, like, a little backyard stuff. So the lady in the foreground there on the left, um, just to give you some context again, it, like I said, this is a rougher neighborhood. So I was on a, we do outreach every Thursday, and I walked up to her house, and before you even get within 15 feet, the smell of weed is really heavy in the air, and they're bumping loud and offensive music. And I didn't say much to her, just, hey, you know, kids are welcome to come over for some ice cream and some pizza or whatever. And I had my Bible in my hand, so that started a conversation. And apparently, she was just in a big beef with her neighbors, and she said it, it, it could have potentially been fatal, um, but they were kind of bumping this music as loud as they could as kind of a screw you sort of thing to the neighbors, you know. Um, and so we began a conversation, and, and she invited me into her home, and, and uh, it was just apparent that she, her heart didn't want to live the way she was living. So she began crying out to the, to the Lord, to the Holy Spirit, and it was really weird. Um, so the power of the Holy Spirit came into her, into her house, and as she's praying, all the music uh, cuts out. Everyone that was in her house, you know, causing a ruckus, like, left. And it's just this kind of pervasive sense of peace that just settled over the whole home. It was really a powerful testimony to her of, like, the, like I'm talking about that, that power of prayer. It really works. Like, God really is <laughs> awesome. Um, 
So next slide. Uh, yeah, a lot of prayer and intercession kind of all over the place. That's our realtor that helps sell our home. She's, <laughs> she was uh, kind of a backsliding Lutheran, and, but she's stuck with us. She keeps coming around every month or two and um, hearing stories and, and helping us on the house. It's really awesome. Uh, next slide. Uh, yeah, the next slide. Uh, just a lot of weird stuff. Okay, this is kind of a fun story. I know I'm going long, sorry. Um, they stole all the copper. Someone broke in and stole all the copper, and it washed out all the dirt under the foundation. Um, so I couldn't find the water main to hook up the plumbing back up. So I'm down there digging this out, digging this out. And um, so I finally I just give up. I can't find the water main. I, dig, I dug out tons of dirt. And I call the city, and the city's like, well, the best we can do is just come out and mark on the sidewalk where the water line comes in from the city. So if that's the best you can do, thanks. Appreciate it. So a couple days later, and you can actually go to the next slide, I think, um, the city comes out, and he was just about to market, and I just kind of explained my story. And the, he's a little guy named Mitch. And he's like, well, you know, i got a few minutes. I'll come down there with you. So he hops down on that crazy crawl space with me, looks around a little bit. He's like, yeah, maybe it's over here. So uh, let me go turn the water on and see if that's it. So he goes tries to turn the water on, but the kids in the neighborhood had shoved rocks down the pipe and stuff. So he, he couldn't get to it. So he tried for a few minutes to kind of, you know, suck it all out with this thing, and he couldn't get it out. He's like, ah, you're going to have to call the city back, and they'll have to come out and redig this. It's usually a few thousand dollars. I'm like, ah, oh, crud, that stinks. Well, thanks, Mitch. <laughs> Appreciate it. And <laughs> that's all I said. And he looked at his watch again. He said, you know what? I got another appointment. Uh, i tell you what, this, the cap on this pipe is a bit smaller in diameter than the actual pipe itself. So if you get that cap off, I'll come back when I'm done, and we'll see what we can do. So I got the cap off. Uh, he couldn't come back that day. He came back the next day, flushed it all out for me. Um, he didn't need to do any of this. None of it. All he had to do was mark the thing on the sidewalk. Uh, flushed it out, turned the water back on. We found the water main. It was in a totally different spot of all that dirt and junk. But we found it. And um, so little testimonies like that all along the way. God is just kind of showing himself faithful even through the construction process. It's been really fun. Uh, next slide. Uh, there's a few others kind of ministering to Charles and stuff. Uh, next slide. Uh, we do a lot of outreach. So we partner with this group called Trinity Works. It uh, does uh, boot camps, kind of just trains people in evangelism. And, and so we have people come through our house and just kind of teach them uh, urban ministry and, and uh, street outreach. Uh, the prayer table we set up because uh, a mom was shot in the parking lot of the local grocery store. So in response, we, we met with the store owners and the store clerks, played with them, uh, bought up a bunch of bread from their store, just kind of distributed it to the neighbors and, and prayed with them. And then we had this prayer table as people would walk in uh, we could, you know, pray with them. And a lot of the, a lot of neighbors did stop by and, and receive prayer and talk with us for a while. So that's the kind of stuff that we do. Uh, next slide again. Um, we do partnership with Antioch Ministries. That's where the backpacks went. So you guys uh, supplied, we had 115, 120, I think they said, total number uh, that came through our house to receive backpacks full of um, everything they need for school. So the parents don't have to buy pencils, they don't have to buy erasers or notebooks or backpacks or anything. They got it because of you guys. So thank you. Um, but we live in a, in a neighborhood house that um, just tons of kids are coming over constantly. Uh, we get knocks on the door at 10 o'clock at night. It's not uncommon. Um, kids that haven't eaten and uh, are hungry or cold or you know, just looking for a, a place of refuge. So uh, that's my wife leading a Bible study with them there. She's making some cookies with them there. Uh, next slide. Uh, that's a rap battle going on. 
<laughs> um, and some Valentine's Day stuff. So we have a lot of fun with the kids. Uh, next slide. Uh, this is a Valentine's Day outreach. So we just bought up a bunch of roses and some chocolates got donated. And we just went out on the coldest Valentine's Day in memory and uh, just rolled up on people and gave them a flower, gave them a Valentine and some chocolate and just reminded them that Jesus loves them and, and asked if they needed any prayer. Uh, so I think we reached out over to 100 of our neighbors that day as well. Uh, next slide. Uh, that's at the A10 house, so people just getting roses and getting their chocolates and stuff and praying before they go. So it's a really fun day. Uh, next slide. Um, weekly intercessions. So we do regular times of just praying and interceding. The house is more fixed up than this is now, so that looks kind of dingy or dirty. But uh, we pray often. Uh, next slide. There's people that come for occasional work parties. Uh, next slide. Uh, and this is just us in the neighborhood. Um, got to take some kids to a Twins game. My wife had backyard Bible studies and uh, lunch times with the kids three times a week this summer. And just anytime we're out, the kids are going to pop over. They, I think they see our house as a place of safety or something. So it's not always fun. You know, sometimes I'm driving home and I open the garage door and then there's all of a sudden a troop of five or seven kids plopping up. I don't always want to engage with them at that moment, um, but I know that's where God's heart is. So, uh, and I think one last slide, just show you the backpacks. One more, yeah, there we go. Uh, so that's the backpacks you guys got. Uh, we also got some kind of prizes and games for the activity. We had a big special event for them. So, thank you guys so much for enduring. I know I went over my time, but uh, thank you very much. <laughs>